Our reading today is taken from the book of Philemon. If you're struggling to find it, it's that one page in your Bible just before the book of Hebrews. Let's read. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from me for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do not wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Jesus Christ, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristocras, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thank you, Rebecca. And good morning, folks. It's great to be with you uh, this morning. We're taking a week's break, uh, as you can tell from first uh, Peter. And as has been read out to us, we're going to be studying the entirety of the letter of Philemon this morning. And I wonder this morning if you've ever thought about, either as the reading was being read out to us or just in general, why the letter of Philemon is included in the Bible. It's one of those stranger books in the New Testament. It's very short. It's Paul's shortest letter, in fact. It's also not written to a church. It's a personal letter written by Paul to another fellow believer, and so in that sense, it's unique. And on top of that, there's just some things that aren't mentioned in it, which you would expect to be mentioned in a letter that is written uh, by Paul. Most obvious being the fact that Jesus' death and resurrection is nowhere to be found in Philemon. And that's, I mean, that's pretty foundational to Christianity, I'm sure we can agree. 
So why are we looking at it this morning? Why, as a broader question, is it even included in our Bibles at all? Well, because it is a very, very important book. People have called this letter to Philemon the gospel in action, and that is an accurate representation of it. This letter is wonderful. It shows the transformative nature of the gospel. It also shows the radicalness of Christ's love and how that can affect today's society. And I think above that, it shows and will teach us and remind us about the importance of how we view each other as fellow believers in Christ. I think this letter shows us the importance of Christian love towards other believers. And I mean, we've just had Valentine's Day there. I hope it was a good day for you. I personally spent it sneezing my head off and blowing my nose. I know, very romantic. And so what's the phrase that comes around this time of year or what's at the front of everyone's minds, love is in the air. Well, in our case, love isn't in the air. It's grounded here in this letter to Philemon. So yeah, it's an important book and it's worth our time studying. And we're gonna take the time, as I've said, to look at it all this morning. And I know that at first you might look at it and say, that's kind of a lot to get through in one morning, even if it is one chapter. And again, I thank you for the reading this morning. I know it was quite long. But really, when you break it down, it's a very simple letter. There are three main characters for us to be concerned about. There's Paul the Apostle, who I'm sure we're somewhat familiar with. There is Philemon, who we're going to be looking at in more detail. And there's Onesimus, who's Philemon's former slave. And in this letter, there's one main aim from Paul, from the writer, from the Apostle, there's one main aim, and that is to get Philemon to accept and forgive his former slave Onesimus, to accept him as a fellow brother in Christ. That is the aim, to get Philemon to accept Onesimus as a brother in Christ. So let's get going. Let's get stuck into it. There are two main points and two main sections in this letter. Firstly, from verses 1 to 7, you can see yourselves. From verses 1 to 7, we see Paul's appreciation of Philemon. And then from verses 8 to 25, we see Paul's appeal for Onesimus. So Paul's appreciation of Philemon and Paul's appeal for Onesimus. So let's begin by looking at verses 1 to 7 then. Paul's appreciation of Philemon. Immediately, as we can see in verse 1, that this is a letter written by Paul. This is not disputed even by non-Christian historians. And we can also see that he is in prison he describes himself as a prisoner in verse 1. In verse 9, he again calls himself a prisoner. And just to make sure that you don't miss that point, he says in verse 13 that he is in chains for the gospel. And again, in verse 23, he describes Epaphras as his what? His fellow prisoner. Paul is in prison. More than likely, he was imprisoned in Rome around AD 60. But what is so striking about this description of himself is that he doesn't describe himself as a prisoner of Rome, does he? No, he's a prisoner of Christ, of Jesus. He belongs to Christ. He was Christ's captive long before he was a captive of Rome. He was a, a captive for Christ's sake. It's very striking that Paul describes himself in this way, and it shows the mindset of Paul, and it shows his character. There would have been a negative stigma attached to Paul for his imprisonment, and I suppose that still is around today. We can also see that from 2 Timothy chapter 1, where Paul 
tells Timothy to not be ashamed of him, to not be ashamed of him even though he is in prison. Because as 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says, he knows whom he has believed. He is suffering for Christ. He is suffering for Christ's sake, for Jesus, for the spreading of the gospel, for the spreading of the gospel message. And Paul knows that even in all of this suffering that he is going through, God will be faithful. Paul's imprisonment, why it's just a natural consequence of being an apostle for Christ. People might have been ashamed of Paul, but Paul wasn't ashamed because his suffering was for Christ. And I think we should take encouragement and be challenged from that to not be ashamed of our faith. Because, you know, our faith, it is a wonderful, glorious, miraculous thing because it is all based on Jesus and what he has accomplished through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. It's a wonderful message of eternal life. It's a glorious truth, and we shouldn't be ashamed of it. Look to the example of Paul here. I wonder if, maybe like me in the past, you've been talking to a non-Christian friend, family member, maybe even a, a stranger on a TransLink train, and you're just kind of embarrassed to bring up the fact that you are a Christian. Or maybe, maybe it's a different situation, maybe they know that you are a Christian. Maybe it's actually a long-time friend, and you've tried to share the gospel with them, and you've tried doing that so many times that it's just, is awkward the right, is the right word? You just feel awkward, and you wonder, should I share it again? Will they look down on me if I do? Will this be the time that they just shut me down? Well, look to Paul's example. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of your faith. Don't be ashamed or fearful of the consequences because our God is a faithful God. And in the same way that he used Paul mightily, even in his imprisonment, he's maybe using you as you share the gospel with that person again or for the first time to plant a seed. And who knows what that will grow into. Let's keep going though. Paul addresses the letter to Philemon, a dear friend and a fellow worker of Christ. Who was Philemon? Well, he was the person receiving this letter. He's, his name's at the top of our Bibles. He was a well-to-do Roman citizen from Colossae who was a believer. And in that way, he owed his own faith in Christ to Paul. You can see that in verse 19 for yourselves. Epaphras and Philemon started a church in Colossae. And that's actually why the letter of Colossians and the letter to Philemon is closely linked together. And they've also were written around the same time in the same place. And Philemon was someone who, as verse 3 shows us, Paul wishes grace and peace upon from God the Father and Jesus Christ. And Paul will cycle back to this in this letter. Because in the same way that Philemon experienced grace from God through Christ, Paul will want Philemon to show grace to someone else. Paul gives thanks for Philemon, verses 4 to 7. Paul praises Philemon. In fact, Paul praises Philemon for his love and his faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul is showing appreciation to Philemon. But Paul makes sure to emphasize something here. He praises Philemon for his love towards God's holy people, towards other believers. And again, in verse 7, he praises Philemon for the fact that he refreshed the hearts of God's people. This is important because it kind of makes way for the rest of the letter. Because you see, Paul's a, a smart guy. 
Paul's very smart, and he's careful with the words that he uses. He's highlighted Philemon's love to fellow believers. He's joyful and encouraged by the fact that Philemon refreshes the hearts of God's people. He gives genuine encouragement to him. He's not giving him encouragement just so that he can criticize him later. He's not saying, oh, Philemon, you're very loving and good and all this, but what you did last week was an absolute train wreck. He's not, he's not doing that. He's given genuine encouragement which is something that's healthy to do, and it's something that's frequently done here in this church. So let's continue to strive for that. But Paul does have a purpose in commending Philemon in this way, to encourage him, yes, of course, but also to set up for his request. And this request, this appeal, takes up the rest of of the letter. Verses 8 to 25, Paul makes his request. And verse 8 is interesting because it starts off with that word, therefore. Paul says, look, I'm asking you, based on your love that you show towards other believers, not based on me. I mean, I could do that. I could tell you what to do, but I'm not going to do that. Verse 9, I'm appealing to you on the basis of love. He's basically saying, look, I'm an old man. I've been in ministry for around 30 years now. I could tell you to do something. I could order you to do what you ought to do, but I'm appealing to you on the basis of love, on the basis of your character. I'm appealing to you, verse 10, on behalf of my son, Onesimus. Who is Onesimus? Onesimus is Philemon's former slave. When we think of slavery nowadays, our minds probably automatically go to race-based slavery, which is, of course, abhorrent and wrong on every single level imaginable. However, slavery in Roman times, as I'm sure you folks know, it's not identical to the race-based slavery that would make up the 18th and 19th centuries. The main difference between race-based slavery and slavery in Roman times was that slavery in Roman times was often voluntary. People would willingly become slaves for money or just so that they could feed their families. They would partake in indentured servitude and work for other people. And on top of that, many slaves had slaves of themselves. It still wasn't a desirable position, but it wasn't as inhumane as it would become. We don't know if that was the case for Onesimus if it was voluntary or not. All we know is that in some way, Onesimus wrongs Philemon, his master. It's not clear what he did. Verse 18 alludes to the fact that Onesimus may have stolen something from Philemon, but we don't know for certain. What we do know is that Onesimus believes from Philemon, potentially with stolen goods, and he ends up in Rome. And more than that, he ends up finding Paul And even more than that, thanks to God's grace, he ends up becoming a Christian through Paul. And he becomes precious to Paul. Verse 10, Onesimus is described as Paul's son. Paul is like a father figure to Onesimus. And more than that, he's become useful. Funnily enough, the name Onesimus means useful. So he's technically always been useful. But Paul is now saying that he is spiritually useful. Masters would often give their names, their slaves names that express their hope for them. So maybe Philemon gave Onesimus this name. And if that's the case, then Paul's making a bit of a pun here. He says, well, Philemon, Onesimus, he wasn't useful to you before, but he is now. What does Paul want Philemon to do? He wants Philemon to receive Onesimus, to take him back. Paul's, in fact, sending Onesimus back to Philemon. That is scandalous. Because you know what that means? That means more than likely, Onesimus is the one to hand over this letter to Philemon. Imagine that situation for a second. 
you're Philemon, you're minding your business one day, when off in the distance you see a figure coming, squint your eyes, that looks like, <laughs> no, is it? It is, Onesimus, <laughs> and he comes up to you, hello Philemon, <laughs> how dare he? How dare he come back? After all that he's done to me and potentially to my family, why I should just, I have a letter from Paul, stressed to you. From, from Paul, you take the letter, your blood may be still boiling from the mere sight of the former slave of yours who's wronged you, maybe stolen from you, and you read and you read and you just can't believe what Paul's asking you to do because he's asking you to forgive him. He's asking you to take him back. We were talking about forgive and forget in our kids' talk today. That's what he's asking. Really, I mean, if Onesimus was a fugitive slave, he could be subject to a lot of disciplinary actions by law that would have been justified. He could have been flogged, branded, even executed. And all that would have been justified under Roman law. That would have been acceptable. That would have been an acceptable punishment for runaway slaves. But Paul's saying to forget about that. He hopes to avert this type of punishment for Onesimus. And he does this by identifying Onesimus in verse 12 as his own heart. And more than that, Paul gives Onesimus more of an endorsement. Verse 13, Paul says, I would have liked to have kept Onesimus because my need for someone to help me as a prisoner is greater than your need, Philemon, for a slave. But I'm sending him back. This is what Paul's essentially saying here. He's sending him back so there can be reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus. And also, Paul is demonstrating the unselfish love that he wants Philemon to have towards Onesimus. Paul's saying, look, I could have kept him. He's very useful. But I'm sending him back so that, I mean, if you want to send him back to me to help me, or if you want to set him free, that it would be done with your consent. And in the second half of verse 14, Paul's making clear that he wants this to be a transformation of the heart. He wants Philemon to do this, not because he's forced to, but because he wants to from a desire in his heart. I wonder <laughs> if you can think of an example of a fellow believer, a fellow Christian brother or sister who just drives you up the wall. Oh, they just drive you bananas. Every little thing they do just grinds your gears. You honestly think that some of the time they're doing it on purpose just to annoy you and just to spite you. Or maybe there's someone that's wronged you in the past in some way. Maybe they've done something to you. Maybe they've not done something for you. And you think, nah, step too far. I couldn't possibly forgive them. Or at least I don't even have to. I don't even have to open myself up to that possibility. I can just avoid them and feign ignorance. Oh, we just drifted apart. Two trains passing in the night. Well, Christ died for them. Christ called them to be one of his children. Christ loves them. And we as the church are called to exhibit Christ-like love. So we should love our Christian brothers and sisters, all their fellow believers, yes, even the ones that do our heads in, yes, even the ones that have wronged us. I mean, look to the example of Philemon and Onesimus. Here's Onesimus who worked under Philemon, under his authority, went, who went against his authority, potentially stolen from him, and now Philemon's to welcome him back. Look, you know, for Paul, I mean, I could probably do that. I could, you know, forgive him. I could do that. I could accept him as a slave once again. No, no, no. Verse 16 says, not just as a slave, 
Paul's not just telling Philemon to welcome him back as a slave. In verse 17, he says that Philemon is to welcome Onesimus as he would welcome Paul. Welcome him as you would welcome the apostle Paul. Folks, this might be Paul's shortest letter, but it's one of his most scandalous and explosive. What this shows us is that Christians are no longer to see each other according to human categories. As 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. As brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians share a bond that transcends human relationships. It transcends the master-slave relationship that Philemon and Onesimus had. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is why the church is so wonderful. And it's why it's so important for us as Christians to love one another and to help each other in the church. I think that there's a danger for us as the church to be so outwardly focused and showing love to non-Christians, which isn't a bad thing, obviously. We are called to show Christ's love to everyone. We are to be ambassadors for Christ. But it needs to start off in the church. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a family united under a banner of love, a love that wrenched us from the depths of sin and shame and opened up eternal life with Christ. That is the love Christ showed. And as Christians, as believers, that's what brings us together. That's what unites the church, Christ. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your job is, what your hobbies are, what your views on the end times are. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We mentioned how earlier there's one very important central Christian idea that's just not mentioned at all in the letter of Philemon, and that's Jesus' death and resurrection. But why is it not mentioned? Well, because the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection finds its fingerprints all over the letter. The implications of the good news of Jesus Christ is radical. It's personal but never private. Jesus' family is a new humanity of equal partners who share together in God's healing mercy. Equal partners. Your status as a Christian, as a member of God's family, is that you're equal in Christ with all other believers. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager or a senior. It doesn't matter if you're nine or if you're 90. We are all equal in status. Maybe not in maturity, but in status. So then the question arises, and it's something we should all reflect on. Do you look down on other Christians? on purpose, maybe subconsciously? Do you see yourself as better than them for one reason or another? If you're younger, do you see yourself as better than an older Christian just because they're older and they don't know what you're going through, which is untrue? More often than not, older Christians have been through more than we can possibly imagine and have so much wisdom to impart to us. Or maybe if you're an older Christian, Do you see yourself as better than younger Christians simply because you've been around more and you've experienced more? And while younger Christians are too young to have gone through anything, which is again untrue, we all go through difficulty. We all go through times of suffering. Before Christ, no matter what, we are equal in status. And the way in which you treat other believers reflects your Christian commitment. And that's the thing. We are called to love. And what is love? It's not just obedience obeying something to obey it. It's not just obeying something just because as Christians, yeah, we're meant to love each other. No, we're to have an affection for each other. It's an inward feeling of love. It's not Christian obedience, it's Christian character. 
Folks, if you love Christ this morning and there's someone in your life who you just can't figure out how to love and you can't just look past all that they've done against you or maybe not done for you, you need to start off at the very least by, by trying to see Christ in them. As Christians, we love Christ, or at least we should. And if you love Christ and you understand that Christ loves them despite the fact that they are sinners, and if they are a Christian, you understand that the Holy Spirit resides and lives in them the same way that he does to you, and if they aren't a Christian, you understand your need to reflect Christ's love for them in the sense of evangelism, to love them by showing true love, which isn't just a gift, it's not just a present or a hug or whatever, it's Christ. It's good to help people. It's good to be charitable. It's good to do humanitarian efforts, but above all, people need Christ. You love them by showing true love. You love them by pointing them towards true love itself. That is, you love them by showing them Jesus. You show them Christ. You tell them about Christ. You tell them about the hope that he brings. That's where transformation comes in, not physically, but spiritually. See Christ in other people and show Christ to other people. Verse 18, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Paul doesn't make any excuses for Onesimus. He actually takes it as understood that, yeah, Onesimus has done something wrong. He's maybe cost Philemon financially, brought dishonor onto him and his family. And yet Paul removes a barrier to forgiveness with his promise to repay any damages from theft or loss of services. Verse 19, with his own hand, he writes this. He writes that he will pay it back. He makes that promise to Philemon. This is just a model of what Christ did for us. Except what Christ did for us was on a far greater scale. Paul takes upon himself the price of Onesimus' legal debt so that Philemon might forgive him. Christ took the debt of our sin onto himself so that we could be forgiven so that we can be reconciled to God, so that the wrath of God could be absorbed and taken away from us who are Christians. As Romans chapter five, verse 10 reminds us, we have been reconciled while we were God's enemies by Christ's death and by his resurrection and by his life. And that is mirrored here in Philemon. Verse 21 shows us he is confident that Philemon will grant him his request. Not because Philemon's a good man, but because he's in the Lord. And then the rest of the letter is practicalities. So as we close, as we finish our brief study of Philemon, what can we say about it? The impact of this letter cannot be understated. For Philemon, it would have been impossible now to treat Onesimus as a lesser being, considering the fact that he had such a close friendship and fellowship with the apostle Paul, and considering that Paul asked Philemon to treat Onesimus as he would treat him. The story of Philemon and Onesimus is a beautiful picture and distinction between law and grace. By law, both Roman and Mosaic, Philemon had the right to punish his runaway slave. But the covenant of grace through the Lord Jesus Christ allowed both master and slave to be reconciled and to fellowship in love equally as part of the body of Christ. Master and slaves equals in Christ. It's actually why this letter is so scandalous as well. Slavery was widespread throughout the Roman Empire, 
In those early days, Christians didn't have the political power to change the slavery system. And if they tried to rebel, then it would have led to the deaths of many, many people. Paul, therefore, didn't condemn or condone slavery, but he worked to transform relationships. The good news, the gospel, changed social structures by changing the people in those structures. Master and slaves now equal. And for us, I think the challenge is clear. For each other here in Antrim Baptist, and to other Christians in our lives, we need to show this type of love, this type of grace that Paul is asking Philemon to show to Onesimus. We need to be open to forgive, to welcome, to embrace, even to those who have wronged us. Because we have been forgiven. We have been welcomed and we have been embraced even though we have wronged God. We have been forgiven, welcomed, and embraced by Jesus Christ, and that is true love. Amen. Let me pray as we finish. Father God, we want to thank you for this time spent together studying your word. We thank you for this time together. And Lord, we just want to thank you for the reminder of the great love that's been shown to us on Christ, by Christ on the cross at Calvary for us. Through the example of Paul and Philemon and Onesimus, the love shown there, Lord, how much more infinitely greater is your love that was shown to us at the cross. And for that, God, why, what can we even say but thank you? There's no word in the English language that comes close to expressing how thankful we are. God, I just pray that as we continue the rest of the service and as we go on into the new week, Lord, just pray that we will take the message of this letter to heart, Lord, that even if it's just starting off, Lord, that we will begin to forgive those who have wronged us and begin to show Christ-like love to a world who needs it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.